Um, the Iwana Carnival will be full of booze, right, with a TH. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one that heard booze, but, uh, but yeah, right, TH. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, please bring your kids. That's going to be great. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it, it does. It depends. So I know the last um, probably seven or eight weeks have been kind of all over the place, right? We've had, um, we were in Ecclesiastes for a long time, and then we've had different pastors coming in, different preachers, and we've been in different books and just kind of all over. Um, so I just wanted you to know it's going to, we're going to get back to sort of a, a semblance of um, a little less randomness. So we're going we're gonna to finish Ecclesiastes, and then I think we'll go into the book of Romans after that. Um, and so just so you know, if you've been feeling a little disheveled by, like, there's always a different person up here, and we're always in a different book, and we're just all over the place, um, we're going to get back to a bit of a normal schedule. Um, <clears throat> I did wonder, even, like, thinking, oh, man, you know, it, we've, been so f- we've, we've been so long out of Ecclesiastes, was it just worth going ahead and going to Romans and just, like, you know, not finishing this up? But I'm glad that we're here. Um, now, it might seem like the rantings of a madman if you read the thing and you're just like what is what is he saying like there's all of these and it's very has this very proverbial feel right every verse seems different and disconnected and like what in the world is Solomon trying to tell us with all of these sort of at face value very confusing statements um, but I think that Solomon has one singular message and I think there's a lot of wisdom in everything that he says I mean, it's the word of God right even though we look at it and maybe at at first we think I don't get it. I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. There is value to it. In fact, there's more than just value, but there's truth, and there's conviction, and there's encouragement, and all of those things, and we're going to see it all this morning. Um, and I think the main thing that we're going to see from, from this chapter is a, is a theme that has been coming over and over and over and again in the book of Ecclesiastes. We cannot know the future. We have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. We have no idea what this afternoon is going to bring. And God is calling upon us to trust in him, not to try and control everything, not to feel like you're going to have everything figured out, but that to live your life in such a way where you find joy in the daily things and that we trust in the Lord. So verses one and two, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So casting your bread upon the waters. Um, the only time I've ever seen that and not worry about the person is if there's ducks around, right? Like, what, what is he talking about? We don't run around, like, go to a lake that has no birds and just start throwing, you know, bread out into it. Um, people would see us and think, that's a little bit crazy. Like, what is this person doing? Um, it reminds me of uh, this really funny scene in the office where he's sitting there. He's just sitting on a bench. And Michael Scott is just going, Ca-ca! and he's throwing bread out into, like, he's in a park, and there's no birds. It's the middle of winter. And just like, what are you doing, man? And so that's, when I read this, I think, that seems foolish. Why are you casting bread onto water? There's no return for your investment. Like, what is happening here? What is Solomon trying to teach us? I grew up with a cop for a dad, and so... We, and I grew up in Houston, like in the city, and so my dad just was like skeptical of everybody, like his own family, like everybody. And so when we would drive around, there was always people sort of standing on the corner with a sign asking for money, 
And my dad was just like hard-nosed, like no way, not giving them money, not giving them anything. They're going, I mean, he just would make these definitive statements. They will use it for drugs. They will use it for alcohol. We will not do it. Won't give money. Never going to happen. And that's what we like to think. Like, we like to think, I know what's going to happen if I give my money in this place or in that place to this person or to that person. And we don't want to give to places that we think are foolish. Because, once again, we think we know what is going to happen. I have known over the years many folks, especially in Durango, who are homeless, who are more generous than anyone else I've ever known in my life. You give money to them, and they help the person who is living with them, right? They give that money away. They help. And so all to say is we can't look at a person or we can't look at an organization or look at anything in particular and say, well, I just will. I refuse to give my money because I know exactly what they're going to do with it. Now, there's got to be wisdom in that, right? Don't go give your money to Planned Parenthood, right? You do know what they're going to do with it. There are certain... Uh, there, there are certain uh, um, exceptions to this rule. But if you, in your heart, if you feel God calling you, when you're pulling out of Walmart, there's a guy standing there, and God is saying, give something to them. Be generous to that person. Don't allow yourself to come up with excuses. That's not a good place to give. I should do it here. I should do this. Just follow the Lord's leading, right? If you, even if you think it's foolish, cast your bread upon the water. What does Solomon say? It will return to you. After many days, my obligatory C.S. Lewis quote, um, he talked about it, he, that people, you know, same thing. He lived in London, and so people would always get on to him for giving money to those who were standing on the street. And he said, you know what, what if they do go buy a pint with it? That's what I was going to do with it. What? Who cares? And so he said, I would rather give and be made a fool of than to miss an opportunity to give to somebody who was in need. The second verse, this number of seven, right? Give to a portion of seven or even to eight. We know the number seven, right? Perfection, completion. This is a biblical symbol in the Bible. This number means something when we see it. Solomon is telling you, give perfectly, right? Give to completion. And then what does he say? even to eight. Go beyond that, right? When you feel like you have given enough and you feel like you have been more generous than you ever thought you could be, be more generous. Give more. Now, this is, I think, an attitude adjustment, right? This is not a cast your bread upon the water, cast all of your bread upon the water all the time, every single day, every, every chance and moment that you can. When God convicts you when he when and i think you all know what i'm talking about right when you when you see somebody that you know is in need or you hear of a need and you just feel that right the holy spirit is is prompting you and pushing you to give to give beyond what you even feel comfortable giving to the point where you might have to dig into the savings account or the emergency fund and pull some of that money out so that you can give to the cause that's in front of you i think that's what solomon is telling us because we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. We have no idea how God is going to reward us. It will return to us. Now, I think it's important to know that this is more than just about money, right? This is more than just about writing checks. 
but we are being called to give generously with everything that we have. So whether that be your money, maybe it's your time, maybe it's a skill that you have, or maybe it's your kindness and your patience and your lovingness and your forgiveness for your spouse, for your children, for one another within the church, whatever it is. Go beyond what you think is God is calling you to do, right? Go beyond just like, well, I shouldn't yell at my kids because yelling at my kids is bad. So I'm just not going to, that's, that's, I've got this limit. This is sort of the bare minimum that I need to do in order to be fulfilling what I should be doing as a dad or a mom or whatever. And go far beyond that. Secondly, I think this is really vitally important and it applies to us as a church in these moments right in these moments of trying to figure out what the future is going to look like be generous in all things not just your resources but the words that you're speaking to one another and your patience for the leadership group who are trying to sort through a lot of different things those guys have inherited a lot of stuff a lot of systems, a lot of policies, a lot of things that they're trying to figure out and work through. And the wisdom of the day says, ah, don't worry about that. Ecclesiology, what does that even mean? I don't care about that. I don't care about the systems of the church. Let's just go find a new pastor. If you're not, if, like, that's, that's your job. That's your task. Go find the next guy so that he can come in and then maybe he can fix all this stuff. And the wisdom of the day, and especially the wisdom of our brothers and sisters within the Baptist churches, is that's the wisdom. Go find the next pastor. Let him figure those things out. I'm asking you to be patient, to be generous in your patience for those guys who are working through and trying to make sure and trying to figure out all of these things. What is the right way to move forward? How do we do this? Be generous with one another. Right? We've, we've, I mean, I, I mentioned this last week. It's come up. That there are differences of theology. People have, we have different ideas about what the Bible says. The Bible is not always black and white. A lot of the times, like what we just read, it can be a little bit cryptic, right? It's a little bit hard to figure out from time to time. We're going to have different ideas. We're going to come to different conclusions. But be generous with one another in your patience. Be generous in your understanding and wanting to talk with one another. And don't jump to conclusions, right? Don't, don't get angry if somebody disagrees with what you believe. Be generous in everything. Not knowing the future also expands out to what sometimes we might call analysis paralysis. Has anybody ever had that? There's just too many things and you just like can't even make a decision. You just get stuck. I don't know. There's too many choices. There's too many options. And that's what, I mean, that's what Solomon is trying to tell us, right? The clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He observes the wind, will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Some interesting imagery here. Should I plant my field now? It looked like it might rain, but then also the weatherman says it's not going to rain at all. Is the rain going to wash the seed away or are they going to dry up and they're never going to come to fruition? Where should I build a shed, right? This tree looks like it's going to die. I don't know which way it's going to fall, this way, that way, whichever way it goes. Is it going to land on my house? Is it going to land on this? And we can get to the point where we're so concerned with all of these things that are outside of our control 
that we just don't do anything. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't try and control these things. If you have a dead tree in your front yard, right, hire those fancy guys, right, to cut the wedges and do the stuff and whatever, and they can, like, make, make it land in a certain spot. I'm sure you've all seen the videos where they can, like, shut, they can cut this tree down and it lands between a house and a shed. It's, like, 10 feet wide and bam, right there. Like, whoa, that's impressive. I've also seen them where they cut all the wedges and then bam, on the house, right? It, do, it doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. We can't control everything that is happening in our lives, this is what we want. Oftentimes, we want to, God, you've got you to tell me how you're doing this, what's going to happen, what does the future look like? And we want to know everything possible before we will make a decision. And there's a balance, right? Research can be good and research can be helpful. But in the end, we can't. We can't know. We can't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know if that investment you made is going to go well for you or not. So we make our decisions. We make them the best that we can. Learn as much as you can, right? We, we're talking about getting chickens and a goose, and we're trying to figure this stuff out. And then we're like, ah, let's just, we'll just get a goose, right? And then we realize, oh, well, the Internet says that it's bad if you only have one goose. He doesn't have a friend. It's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't get it. And it's, like, it's not bad to read and to learn and to research and to try and do things the best way possible. But at the end of the day, when the research is done, make your choice and trust in the Lord. That, that rain cloud... It might rain on your crops, and it might only rain on your neighbors. There's nothing that you can do to control that. You plant your field, you sow the seed, and you trust in the Lord. So instead of worrying about the things that you can't control, I mean, the future as a whole, and not just the future, but Solomon's even, even the stuff that's happening right now, we don't understand. We don't know how God does some of the things that he does in this moment. And yet God is still calling us to trust in the Lord. Now, some of these analogies might fall a little deaf, right? Most of us are not farmers. Most of us are not actually literally plowing seeds, right? But we're smart enough to realize whatever it is, what, whatever work you're doing, wherever you're planting your seed, wherever you are toiling in your life, maybe it's at a job, maybe it's at home with your kids. I don't know. Whatever stage of life you're in, whatever it is that you find yourself toiling in, that is the thing. Cast your seed over here. Cast your, you don't know which one is going to work. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the things that are outside of your control. Allow the Lord to do that. Trust in Him on those things. And the second thing is that we don't know what God is even doing now. Not just the future, but we don't understand some of the stuff He's doing in our very presence. Verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Even with all the fancy imaging and all the different stuff and the medical science and all of the progression that we have made throughout our world and society, we still don't really know and understand how a child is knit together in the womb. How is it that a woman can carry a full human being inside of, of, of their stomach, right? And it, I mean, all of that, right? It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to us. 
Anybody who's ever been there for the birth of a child, you think, this is a work of the Lord. Like, this is a miracle. I don't understand how that is even possible. But God did it. He knit together these little ones, all of them and all of us at one point, right? We were all knit together in the womb of our mother in a way that we don't understand, that only God knows. And this is really important. When we read things like this and we say we don't understand, sometimes we fall into this trap of saying, God, you owe me an explanation. Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? And we expect God to explain himself to us. Right? We've all been there. Time, things have gone wrong. Usually it's when things go really, really wrong in our life. And we sort of make these demands from the Lord. Lord, And, and it comes from this idea of like we don't deserve to be treated like this. Lord, what is it that you're doing and why are you doing it? And I just caution you and myself that we should always be very careful about that we should always be very careful about our attitude it's not that we can't go before our god and ask questions but we don't go before our god and accuse god is doing things that you don't understand and that i don't understand in this very moment in this very room he is doing things that we don't see that we don't comprehend and we don't understand Now, sometimes he does tell us what's coming. Sometimes he tells us why and how. But I would say that most of the time, he doesn't. Most of the time, the message from God is this. I love you. I sent my son to die on a cross for you. That's how much God loves each one of us. And he expects us. Look, if, he, if God is willing to do that for us, don't you think he's willing to take care of you and all of the other things in your life? And he expects us to trust him. And he expects us to put our faith in him and in his goodness. He is a good, good father, right? That's what we just sang. It's a true statement. That is who God is, even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it, we don't understand it. It is what is true. It makes me think of this like, this is exactly how I am with my own children. There are many things that happen in life. We tell our kids to do stuff, and if I think that they can comprehend why, I'm totally happy to tell them why. What, this is exactly why I want you to go and do this thing. But there are many times when I tell them, don't do that, and I know that either the explanation would take a half an hour, or they just will not understand. Like, there's, they're not going to get it no matter how much I try and explain. And say, look, you just got to trust me. I'm trying to do what's best for you. Please just understand that and just do what I ask you to do. I don't have time to explain it, or you won't understand it if I, even if I did explain it. That's, I mean, that's how we are, right? God is our Father. We are His children. And that is true for many, many things in our life. So in light of all of this, verse 6, I think this is the core of it, right? I think this is one of probably the most important verse of the chapter. In the morning sow your seed, in an evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both. They both might be good. We just don't know. So every morning, get up and toil and find joy in that toil and do what God has called you to do. And in the evening, continue in that work. And go to bed and say, I don't know. 
I, I cast my seed out today. I did all of I, I tried to do every good thing that I could find in front of me to do. The Lord is going to water and prosper what he decides to water and prosper. There's nothing I can do to control it. I can just do what God has called me to do. And we leave everything else up to the Lord. Now, once again, this works in tandem with the fact that God gave you a brain and that we are intelligent, and that we can see things, and we can figure things out. So, for example, next to our house, we have, like, I don't know what it is, an acre and a half that we planted, and it's, like, in these weird sections and rows, and one, and we planted, we seeded the entire thing the exact same way, except for that one section, we covered it completely with mulch, and the rest of them, we just covered, you know, did the seed, tried to get a little dirt on top, see what happens. going to do it again and i'm just going to throw the seed out there and not put mulch on. like it's clear that helped right it helped the seeds to grow god is not saying ah don't worry about it it's, it's not that god magically made one section grow and not the others like clearly there are things that we can do right so i'm going to mulch everything this year but here's the thing i can seed it and i can mulch it but if god doesn't make it rain it's not going to grow i can do everything that i can do you can do everything that you can do and you just have to leave up the things outside of your control to God's hand. With all of this in mind, then, then Solomon starts making some really statements, like really good statements. When you get to that point, when you're able to just let go of the fact that you do not control your future, that there are so many things outside of your control, and you say, Lord, I'm trusting in you for all of that. Verse 7 becomes true. You can just go outside and enjoy the sunshine. Right? How many of you have ever felt so stressed out that you couldn't even just go outside and enjoy a beautiful day? I got too much to do. I'm thinking about too many things. There's too many things. I can't even go outside and just stand and look at the sun and enjoy it. We've all been there. And God is saying that that's foolishness, right? Don't do that. Don't allow yourself to get to that point. Let go of all of that stuff that you cannot control. And then Solomon ends with a warning. So he says, look, if you get to this place, there is a carefree life, free of stress, right? Free of all the anxiety that most people experience. It's ahead of you. But there is a warning. Solomon says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But... God is going to judge you one day for the things that you do. In other words, this carefree idea, this idea of living and not having any anxiety and not worrying and trusting in the Lord, that sort of mentality can be taken too far. In the sense of, what if you give away all of your bread, right? What if you cast all of it on the water and now you and your family have no, no bread to eat for yourself? There is a command in scripture that we are to take care of ourselves, right? That we are to provide for our family. Men, that's our calling. You can't be foolish and give away all of your money with a generous heart and say, whoops, no food for my own kids, no clothing for my own family. There's a balance happening here. Live this life 
of stress-free, of trusting in the Lord, but know that at the end, God is going to judge us for the things that we do. So you can't hoard your resources and deny those who need help, but you can't go give so freely that you are without. I think Solomon is telling us, look, follow your passions, the things that God has gifted you in doing. Don't follow those passions, but don't, and don't be consumed with fear about what tomorrow is going to bring, but be smart about all of it. You like to garden? Go get lots of plants. Get extra fruit trees, right? Make your land into a garden so that when your neighbors drive by, they'll be like, whoa, what is going on there, Right? We live out in like the sagebrush desert out by the airport. Just everything, sagebrush and dust. Jennifer and I had this vision for these acres. It's like we want this little plot of land to be so green that you can't even see the back of it one day, right? So that people can drive out like, wow, look what's been created there. There's a garden in the midst of the desert out here. There's symbolism in that, right? There's, this is God's goodness and his grace, and there's things to be done and to be said about that. But at the end of the day, if I don't have enough money to buy milk and bread because I bought too many fruit trees, I kind of messed it up, right? I got a little overzealous, and that's a possibility. And so God is calling us, all of these things that you love and that you enjoy, pursue them. But just be careful. This last idea in verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and pain from your body. So vexation is not a word probably that we use very often. Um, It simply means sorrow. Remove the sorrow from your heart. One of my kids in particular struggles with this. The smallest thing will go wrong. And, a cho- and it's clear, a choice has been made that they are going to be sad. They are going to be upset by this thing. And we are trying our best to teach. You can make a choice. You don't have to get sad. You don't have to get this sad about something that, got, that is unexpected or this little thing that has happened. Because then many times it is a choice, right? The sadness that can overwhelm us. We can choose to be thankful instead of to be sorrowful. Solomon tells us, choose gladness, right? Choose a thankful heart. And lastly, he tells us to remove pain from your body. I don't think he's talking about a physical pain, but rather the pain that comes as a result of our sin. When you act out in rage towards your kids, when you yell at them and you lose your temper, right? Not only is it hurting you, there's a, there a pain that happens in my heart when I lose my patience and I yell at my kids and I'm overly harsh with them when they didn't deserve it and they don't need to be, right? And there's a pain that happens in me and there's a pain that happens in them. You act out of lust, And there's pain that happens in your relationships. You act out of selfishness and there's pain that happens in our heart because we don't, we're not doing what God has called us to do. And when we act in a godly way, that pain is diminished. When we fight off sin and we do what God is calling us to, the pain is not there. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem with that in that there is a barrier that exists. 
If we are going to have the power of God through the Holy Spirit in our sinful state, there is a barrier that exists, and it is namely us, ourself, our sin. It has disconnected us from God. In order to act in a godly way, we have to have access to him, but our sin has cut us off from that. To have that connection restored, we have to repent. We have to believe in the goodness of Jesus and the sacrifice that he has made. What we talked about last week, right? The first and foremost, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice and what he accomplished through that work that we can be saved, that that disconnect is no longer there, that there is once again a connection between you and God. Sin was in the way, but when we trust in Christ, Christ comes in and pushes all of that aside and said, all of that is gone. It's forgiven. It went to the cross with Jesus. It went to the grave with Jesus. But when Jesus came back out of that grave, your sin and my sin stayed down in there. It stayed dead. It's no longer a barrier between us and the Father. So if all of this, of what we're reading in Ecclesiastes, if this seems like a better way to live, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, Man, that's what I want. I want to shed fear. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel all of these things that, are, that seem to be weighing me down. I don't want to feel the pain that I'm feeling in my life. God has an answer for all of that. And it's found in Jesus. It's not found in you. It's not found in your strength or your ability to overcome these things in your life. It's found in the, in the offer from God to come to the cross and lay all of that at his feet. You don't have to carry it anymore. Jesus will forgive you. Repent. Ask for it. Jesus loves you. God the Father loves you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to restore that connection. He wants you to trust in Him. He doesn't want you to live your life all day, every day, worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. But we can't have that trust in God. We can't shed those anxieties and fears in our own power. It only comes through the power of Christ. It only comes when we are given the Holy Spirit and salvation. And so if you are a Christian, if you are trusting in Christ, the challenge for you this morning is to trust in Him more. Maybe there's lots of things in your life you're saying, absolutely, amen, I have shed that anxiety, I have shed that fear, the Lord has delivered me from that. But almost assuredly, every single one of us has something that is still weighing us down. There's something that we haven't been able to let go of, that we haven't put our full trust in God that he would handle this for us. The challenge for you this morning, whatever that is in your life, take it and slay it. Allow God to have all of that anxiety, everything. And I get it. It, it, This is going to be a process. And probably on the day we die, we're still going to be holding on to something, to some anxiety, to some fear. But that's what the Christian life is about. Every day, getting closer to the Lord. Every day, trying. Every day, pursuing God and trying to give and trying to give up more and more and more of our anxiety and trust in Christ more. So if you're trusting in Jesus, God is is challenging you. Trust Him more. Find a little bit, find a, a little deeper degree of this life that's free of anxiety, where you can enjoy the sun, and you can just cast your seed wherever and not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. And this morning, if you are trusting in yourself, 
God is calling you to repent and trust in Jesus. Because trusting in yourself is only going to lead to more misery, to more anxiety, to more fear. God will deliver you from all of those things if you trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. What a glorious message it is. But what a hard one to hear. Lord, we want to take hold of our lives and we want to take hold of the future and we want to plan and we want to know what's coming and we want to feel like we have control over everything that's happening in our life. But over and over and over again in your word, you tell us it's an illusion. We don't have that. You have that. And rather than trying to wrench that control out of your hands, Lord, we ask that you would just give us a deeper level of faith, more trust, and less desire to be the one driving, to be the one in control, but to be okay with being out of control and trusting in you, that you love us, that you're out for our good. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christ. And it's in his holy name that we pray all of these things. Amen.